0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to this Ulumul Quran, Science of the Quran series. Uh, today we are on uh, day 9 of that, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept and allow us to complete it. Uh, we'll just start off with a bit of Quran. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala al-mab'uuthi rahmatan lil'alameen wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa salama tasleeman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd So we move on to our discussion uh, to complete the discussion about the Israeliat uh, as we discussed yesterday um, Some of the most famous of the transmitters who transmitted the Israelite uh, traditions are uh, the Sahabi Abdullah ibn Salam uh, radiallahu anhu would become a muslim uh, interesting story about how he became muslim then after that from the tabi'een you have ka'b al-Ahbar and then after that another one that you have who proliferate uh, who's uh, really pro- uh, uh, relates uh, a lot of uh, narrations in general is Wahab ibn Munabbih. you'll see him coming up everywhere radiy- uh, rahimahullah and then finally Abdul Malik ibn Abdul Aziz ibn Juraj so you have these four who are considered to be the the most well known for transmitting some of the Israelite traditions and as I explained just to con- confirm that Israelite traditions are not all necessarily wrong but you just have to be careful about them so those that conform, uh, that conform to what we already have you accept, those that go against it then you reject and the others you have to remain silent from, so that's the idea now, going back to our discussion uh, about the different types of tafsir, we're going to be looking at the different types of tafsir. So, um, at the head of the list are tafsir bil ma'thur, right? So, that, uh, broadly speaking, you can split all tafsirs into two types, right? One is a tafsir bil ma'thur, which essentially means the tafsir that um, relies on transmitted explanations from uh, from uh, the Quran itself, from the Sunnah from the Hadith and from the Sahaba, etc. That's what you call Tafsir al-Ma'thur. And as I said, there's some Tafsirs that are fully dedicated to that, or the majority, the major component is that. They call Tafsir bil-Ma'thur, Tafsir of that which has been transmitted. The other type of Tafsir, broadly speaking, are Tafsir bil-Ra'i, which essentially means Tafsir based on uh, opinion, Tafsir based on reflection, Tafsir based on one's opinion, and so on and not entirely based on um, the uh, on what's been transmitted. Now, tafsir based on opinion is not just raw opinion. Uh, it's not something that you can say that somebody just picks up the Quran, has no idea about any of the uh, Islamic sciences, and then just goes uh, and waffles on about stuff. That's not what it is. I mean, um, there's ulama who've done tafsir by Many of our tafsirs are, are tafsir based on opinion, but that opinion is qualified opinion. So that's the difference between qualified opinion and non-qualified opinion. We'll be discussing that a bit later. Um, there's some the many, in fact, many of the tafsirs they have a bit of both, right? There's some which are exclusively on one, like for example, Imam Suyuti's um, Imam Imam Suyuti's uh, 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 taf- one of his tafsirs. They are it's entirely, he doesn't mention anything at all, he doesn't use his own words at all, uh, not Jalalain there's another of his tafsirs uh, which he entirely just transmits, everything is a narration in there, right, so he mentions a verse and then he'll just mention narration after narration and after narration, let me just uh, get you the name of that since I've mentioned it, I just, it's just escaped me, uh, the name of uh, Imam Suyuti's tafsir is, I've got it right here uh, it's ad Durr al-Manthur in Tafsir al-Manthur, ad Durr al-Manthur, the scattered pearls. ad Durr al-Manthur fi Tafsir Fi Tafsir al which is the Tafsir, the in regards to the Tafsir that is transmitted. Just, just he hardly uses a single word of his own in there. That's pure Tafsir bil Mathur. Now, there's a lot of Tafsirs which. Primarily use uh, then the ma'thur and they add a bit of uh, opinion and um, a bit of their own ideas and and their own um, uh, visions and uh, reflections about it as well, and then there's others which primarily focus on uh, their own explanation based on various different sciences and they will add some ma'thur some of the transmitted uh, some of the transmitted explanations as well, so generally you get a mixture of both. Now the first tafsir the the most important you can say from the classical tafsirs that are considered to be primarily tafsir bil ma'thur which you should know about uh, the first at the top of the list is the Jami' al-Bayan fi Tafsir al-Quran Jami'ul al-Bayan fi Tafsir al-Quran Jami' al-Bayan means the compendium of uh, of clarity right the compendium of clarity with regards to i mean they've translated it in the published that in in a translated edition as the comprehensive exposition that's fine comprehensive exposition they've translated it that way in the interpretations of the verses of the quran so that's this one jamia al-bayan fi tafsir al-quran actually it's much bigger than this they've only translated two volumes i don't know if any more uh, are in the works but this was translated um, commissioned by the royal al-bayt institute Prince uh, Ghazi, may Allah bless him, he's done a lot of work on tafsirs and he's, he's, he's got numerous tafsirs that he, that he has commissioned uh, their translation he's got also got this uh, wonderful Quranicthought.com uh, online which has huge amounts of resources for free he's also got uh, free Islamic calligraphy, beautiful calligraphy for free that people can download and they did this with the Islamic Text Society translated by Scott Lucas so only two volumes have been translated the next one is the famous one that everybody should have heard about and maybe even seen. There's a translation of, I think, at least the abridged version of it, which is called uh, the Tafsir of uh, Imam Ibn Kathir. The third one is Lubabu Al-Ta'wil Fi Ma'ani of Imam Khazin. I'm going to describe each one of these in detail, each one of these for you, so you understand what kind of scholars are writing this. And number three, and number four rather, is Tha'alibi, the famous scholar called Tha'alibi, Um, which is called al-jawahir al-hissan fi tafsir al-qur'an al-jawahir al-hissan fi tafsir you can say the choicest pearls with regards to the commentary of the quran by tha'alibi and imam khazin's was called lubabu ta'wil which means the kernel and the essence of interpretation with regards to the meanings of the revelation and ibn Kathir's is just simply tafsir al-qur'an al-azim tafsir of the majestic quran now let's start off with imam Tabari. Uh, let's start with Imam Tabari who's uh, quite amazing. His name is Abu Jafar Muhammad ibn Jarir ibn Yazid al tabari the Imam, the compendium of various different sciences. I mean, he was a person, a polymath of all the different uh, sciences. Amazing, amazing, right? He was, a, in fact, he had a madhab. He um, is born around 224 Hijri in a place called Tabrizstan. Right In a place called Tabristan, uh, Amul in Tabristan, and that's where he said he's born in 224 Hijri. So, this makes him, you can say, uh, a contemporary well, not a contemporary, but he is born towards the end of the life of Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, right? Rahimah, rahimahullah. So, he's around the time when the madhabs are being developed, right? When they've not been formalized properly yet, but they've been developed. So, he actually had a following. He had his own madhab as such, but eventually it died out. And at that time, there were several people who had madhabs. Right? It's not like today when somebody creates a new madhab, the fifth madhab as such. Right? Um, no, the, these were scholars on par with uh, the likes of Imam Shafi'i and Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal and so on. Right? But then uh, there were many others, Layth ibn Sa'ad, Imam Awza'i. Uh, Dawood al-Zahiri and others but then their mothers just did not continue it was only the four mothers that continued but he's a scholar of that that stature that's who he is that's why uh, yeah he eventually he moved to Baghdad which was uh, you can say the capital uh, of the Muslim world at the time and, there are Abbasids, and that's where he passed away in 310 Hijri 310 Hijri so he's just after the likes of Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim and Imam Tirmidhi right in fact with Imam Tirmidhi he's probably a contemporary of some sort as well so this is the way uh, other um, historians have described who he is he is one of the major imams you can make a judgment according to his statement and uh, he's somebody that you can resort to to understand you know because he's of his knowledge and so on and there's a lot, lot of uh, great words about that he was Essentially in every subject he seemed to be a master. He was a hafiz like who had memorized all the qiraat right, and knew them well. He knew the meanings of the Qur'an. He was a jurist in terms of the laws of the Qur'an. So he was a jurist and I said he had a madhhab. Uh, he was well aware of the various different statements and transmissions from the Sahaba and the Tabi'in until his time. And that's essentially what his book is full of. It right? transmits everything up to them with a chain, which is really, really interesting so he was also a historian like a really really well-grounded historian his book on history the tariq of tabari is one of the most famous uh, histories of the muslim world in fact before uh, islam came you know from the time of adam and so on he's got numerous other books that he's written Um, some of them are well known right we're not going to go into all of that but what's really interesting about this tafsir of his is that the story about it imam there's a great Shafi'i scholar uh, Whose name is uh, Imam uh, Ibn Subki Now he mentions in his uh, uh, biographies of the Shafi'i scholars called Tabaqat al Kubra. He says, Imam Abu Ja'far uh, uh, al tabari Once said to his companions He says that Atanshituna tafsir al-Qur'an I mean, are you guys up for a tafsir of the Qur'an? Like, would you care for a tafsir of the Qur'an As the Americans would say, right? So they, they ask, how long? Uh, how long is this Tafsir going to be? So he said, thirty thousand folios. Thirty thousand folios. Wow, thirty thousand folios. If we say that, let's put a thousand pages in one book, and one volume will be 30, uh, Will be one thousand pages, one thousand uh, folios. Uh, right. That means thirty thousand will be. 30 volumes of 1000 pages each that's huge right that's huge so they said um, they said maybe lives would finish before you know you can complete something like that so he then decided to write the tafsir in just 3000 folios just 3000 pages right that's three thousand pages of his time. Today it's been published in about twenty five to thirty volumes. Okay? Twenty five to thirty volumes of not a thousand pages each, maybe about three, four hundred pages each maximum. Right? That's how it is today. That's my edition. My edition I have is about twenty five to thirty volumes, I can't remember the exact number, right? That is how big this tafsir is. And he had wanted to make it ten times the size. Then after that he said to them, Are you up for a tariq? A history of the world, right? From Adam to his time until his second, third century, right? So, all the prophets and everything until his time. And they said, again, how big is it going to be? Because maybe they knew that he was just, mashallah, a encyclopedic scholar, right? Very erudite, you know, really knew his stuff and had a lot of information, right? Had encompassed that. So, it's like, how long is it going to be? So, again, he said something similar to the tafsir, right? 30,000 folios. So they said that that they gave him the same answer so then again he wrote and he wrote it shorter he made it he made it shorter again that's a very very big compendium like uh history of the history of the world that he's written as well but then what he did say at that time is Inna you know we all belong to allah people's vigor and people's uh aspirations have died i mean people don't have the same aspirations so then he made it shorter right so That that's uh, you know these are the kind of scholars we're talking about who have dedicated their entire life to writing these huge huge works, so even right now I said what he's written is in about twenty five to thirty volumes right and that's after he abridged it. Now where the original is, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala knows best where the original is. He published the it looks like it was only the um, the shorter one, the one that we have today. So. The reason why his tafsir is always mentioned and it's celebrated is because it's one of the earliest. Right? He died in 310 Hijri. Everybody else comes after him and his one is all intact and it's there, mashallah. It was only published, it was only found about 30-40 years ago. The manuscripts were found and then it was finally published. It's not been published for longer than that. About 30-40 years ago it was it was found. Anyway, he deals with a number of issues. He deals with, obviously, the meaning of the verses and that's what he is known for. So what he does is that he will mention a verse and then he will say uh, one of the interpretations of this as to what it means is this and he'll mention it in his own words. And then after that he says and those who've said it and then he'll mention his chain that haddathana uh, Musa, you know, my Sheikh Musa tells me from so and so, from so and so, from so and so. Abdullah ibn Abbas from him that this is what it means or Abdullah ibn Masood and this is what it means or from uh, Atta ibn Abi Rabah or from Mujahid or whatever. So he does that and if he's got maybe 15 or 20 uh, Chains like this of the same meaning he'll mention all of them They're pretty much mentioning all the same thing sometimes with slightly different words mentioning the same thing So he'll mention all of those then what he does is he says otherwise it could also mean this And those who have said this, and then he'll mention his chains again, another 10, 15, 20, sometimes just 5 or whatever, and he'll mention that as well. Now, that's why it's considered to be one of the foremost tafsirs in terms of what they call again the ma'thur, the transmitted traditions, because he just, mashallah, just does that, in an amazing way the ulama of the east and west pretty much ulama all over they have to you know recognize this tafsir they've all recognized this tafsir there's no doubt about this tafsir it's an encyclopedic resource that everybody has to has to use now um i can give you examples from this i'm not gonna do that um uh, of the way he does it because i've already explained it to you anyway but i'll just give you one example where he does uh, tafsir of the Ma'thur bil Ma'thur. for example when he's discussing surat al fatiha and he discusses siratal ladheena Amta alayhim alayhim the path of those who you have showered your bounties on now have you guys ever wondered who that is we take it in general oh it's those who allah showers his bounty upon that's fine for me you know i want allah's bounties to be showered upon me that's enough for me however allah actually mentions in the quran who they are in another verse so that's what you call tafsir of the Quran with the Quran because there's another verse about it. That verse is "Wa may اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولَ wa rasul fa اللَّهُ ka مِنَ an'ama Those who obey Allah and his messenger they will be with those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has showered his blessings upon and in this case Allah explains who they are i.e. the prophets the siddiqeen those who are extremely truthful the shuhada martyrs salihin the righteous and what a wonderful company these people will be so that's Allah mentioning in another place what this path is he kept it brief in Suratul fatiha so what he does, this is what many tafsirs will do. They'll, they will generally explain this verse with that one, right? Because it's quite clear, everybody knows about it. But then what Ibn Jarir al-Tabri does is that he mentions his chain so i'll just mention to you one of them he says hadathana muhammad ibn al-ala qala hadathana usman ibn saeed qala hadathana bishr ibn umara qala hadathana abu rawq an al-dhahhak an ibn abbas siratal ladina an'amta alayhim yaqulu tariqu man and alayhim bi ta'atik wa ibadatika min al-mala'ikati wa al-nabiyyi wa al-siddiqin wa al-shuhada'i wa al-salihin alladhina ata'uk wa abaduk so muhammad ibn al-ala my teacher transmits to me Uh, he says that Uthman ibn Sa'id transmits to him he said Bishr ibn Umar transmitted to him he said Abu Ra'uk uh, transmitted to him from Dahaq, from Ibn Abbas who then explained it so then he's got another one in which he says Ahmad ibn Hazim al-Ghifari transmitted to me who then informed who then informed us from Ubaidullah ibn Musa from Abu Ja'far from Rabi that he that he explained it this way and then another one he says Qasim transmitted to us from Hussein, from Hajjaj, from Ibn Juraj that Abdullah ibn Abbas said this. So he's got various, he's got exactly from him to who said it, you know, three generations, four generations, he's got them all down. So that's what makes this tafsir very unique. Now, it makes it very lengthy because of this, right? It makes it very lengthy. That's why uh, an abridgment of this would mean that you would just mention the main explanation and you would just cut out all the transmissions, and it would probably cut the tafsir by about 50 60 percent. Probably by 60 percent, it would cut it down because uh, uh, so much of it is based on this whole chain of people from him to the uh, the, the 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 mufassirs, the, the highest mufassirs. Now, as I said, it's very special and very unique in that regard. The only problem, the only problem is that when he wrote it, it was not a problem. Because people knew these people, uh, you know, these people were known and there was common knowledge about all of these transmitters. So you knew which ones were authentic, uh, were reliable and which ones were not so reliable. However, that is not going to be open for most people today. So that's why he doesn't necessarily evaluate the chains. He does not comment on the people in there and say this person is weak narrator or this person is a strong narrator. So he mentions everybody he mentions everybody. It's just the way he heard it, he mentions it, like an encyclopedia. Now, it's for other scholars to then come along and say, okay, this one is strong, this one is sound, this one is weak, this one may be fabricated. So, that's why, in his time, this knowledge was there. That's why he did it. He didn't see the need for it, right? However, um, it's uh, you have to be careful then when you go through it. Just because he transmits something doesn't mean that everybody's transmitting from is going to be correct like Imam Bukhari has you know, insisted on doing. Ibn Jaleed doesn't do that. In fact, even when you look at his, uh, his history, it's the same thing. He just mentions every narration that he finds, right? And sometimes they're from problematic transmitters. So that's why you have to be careful with his history book, right? Although when it comes to his tafsir, I mean, it's quite clear what it is because he's always got some good ones in there, generally speaking. So, may Allah bless him, and uh, mashallah, pretty much I would say every tafsir book that I've read, the classical tafsirs after him, they've taken from him. Like You cannot avoid tafsir at tabari if you're going to do a tafsir. You would probably today, if you were going to write a tafsir, you would probably, for example, you know last year we did the 30 days tafsir of the Qur'an. Alhamdulillah based on that there are I know of at least two works that are being produced and that were inspired alhamdulillah by then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except there's one young scholar just 20 something years old and he has started mashallah he was going through a phase in his life, he started studying the Quran with with several tafsirs in front of him, and he decided, hey, why don't I just start compiling together the easiest explanations for each of the words of the Quran, you know, for each verse of the Quran, so that it'll be easy for other people after me, and he just started doing that, and now, mashallah, he's done, um, it's nearly finished, right, he's done a bulk of the work, where uh, it's going to be like Jalalain, right, but uh, it's going to be, completely different it's going to be like a simple Arabic Tafsir of the Quran and mashallah mashallah you know and there's another person who contacted me and he said that he is actually writing uh, again a conclusion of each Juz he's going to do one Juz right he's, go- he's going to do each Juz in so many pages or whatever may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward them and there's probably hopefully there's other work as well that's going on that I don't know about but you see whenever you talk about these things inshallah somebody's going to be inspired right and that's the benefit of these things. Maybe some of you will be inspired, inshallah, to do some work on the Quran as well, because that's very important. You have to have the desire to do this, right? If you cannot write, if you're not scholars, um, and if you're not studied, you can maybe uh, assist others, you can support others, you can sponsor others, you can commission work. And, uh, you know, one of the friends that I've got, he's, he's published so many books, and he's not a scholar. He's not a scholar at all right but mashallah the amount of books that he has commissioned to be published right is amazing right and may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this is a uh, turath publishing our friend uh yahya so there's there's room for work you don't just sit at home and think i can't do anything because i've not studied and leave it to the scholars the scholars definitely have an advantage but you have other means you can inspire you can you can commission this work. You can sponsor, sponsor this work. You can encourage this work. You can get your children to study. inshallah, make them ulama and get them to do the work. You know, because works need to continue. We don't. Why do we have numerous amount of works from the past? We always need modern works, works uh, for today, right? That take from those classic works and make it uh, palatable and make it, uh, you, you know, accessible to. Uh, the people that will come every hundred years you need you, you know, it changes things change and things need to be produced Now let's move on. You know I, I love speaking about these people because they are our greats and it says that when you mention the righteous people The mercy of Allah descends because these are people inshallah that Allah has loved Allah loves because they have produced so much good work and they've inspired millions of people Until today, like imagine from 310 Hijri when Imam Ibn Jarir al-Tabari died, today we are sitting in London, right? Do you think he would have ever ever imagined that somebody in this city of London, which in his time is probably called Londinium, I'm not sure, right, is going to be talking about my tafsir? Right. Who would have thought so? Who would have thought that that would have ever happened? But that's acceptance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah allow us also to leave, leave a legacy and uh, be inspirational. So let's move on to Tafsir of Ibn Kathir. Now this is the great Imam, the Hadith scholar, Muhaddis, the Hafidh of Hadith who'd memorize hundreds of thousands of Hadith, Imaduddin, Abu'l Al-Fida, and his name is Ismail, Ibn Amr, Ibn Kathir, Al-Busiri, al Dimashqi. So he's originally from uh, Busir uh, in in the Busra area, and then he is from Damascus. Now, he is a jurist, right? He is a Mufassir, He is a, a historian, and again, he's got a famous history to his name in I don't know multiple volumes called Al-Bidaya and Nihaya, the beginning and the end. He's also got his tafsir is probably the most famous. It's also been translated, as I said, a bridge at least in English as well. He was born around 700 Hijri. So he comes 400 years after Ibn Jarir al-Tabri. He's in Damascus now, all right? And he died in 774. So he was 74 when he passed away, right? Born in 700 approximately, and he died in 774. I visited his grave. His grave is in the grounds of the University of Damascus today, right? in Mazza, I think that area is called Mazza, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring about goodness to for the people of Syria, and uh, so he's buried, and it's ne- right next to Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah, right, which was his teacher in one sense, He they did not share views about everything, especially not on aqidah issues, right, um, but uh, they are buried together, and it's like this small mound, right, and I still remember it, and I was amazed when uh, and astonished and really delighted. when when i when i found him because i mean he's been a somebody that whose tafsir we've read read so many times and discussed so many times so that's him and what sets his book apart is what sets his book apart is that um his is a very very straightforward tafsir you generally find what you're looking for in there it's not too big the other great tafsir that i really love to look at I, i don't generally Uh, look at Tabri that often unless I need to find like a transmission of some sort from the earliest tafsir then I will look at him but generally I would like to use Qurtubi right who comes a bit later but whose mashallah adds a lot of uh, delightful anecdotes and other uh, you know where where Ibn Kathir doesn't that Ibn Kathir keeps it kind of focused right and he says in his introduction as well that the way he's going to conduct his tafsir is that first he's going to do tafsir of the quran with the quran so if there's another verse which explains this one like the example i gave you earlier that's what he's going to take first then after that he's going to use the sunnah right so the second source of that is the hadith he's going to use them to explain the verse and then after that if he can't find anything in there or he wants to add something further he's going to then use the statements. From none other than the Sahaba and the Tabi'in. So he moves on to the Sahaba and the Tabi'in when he can't find anything like that, and MashaAllah, he produces. So he's taken also. He's taken actually the best of Ibn Jarir al Tabari's Tafsir. So all the choicest and beautiful points that are in there and the transmissions that are important in there with, and he's cut out all the, you know, he's cut out all the excessive, uh, uh, all the uh, you know the the rep- repetitive quotes. But he's taken the best of Tafsir of Tabari. He's taken the best of tafsir of Ibn Abi Hatim, right? Who came before him, and likewise Ibn Mardaway. So, mashallah, he's come with the best of that. And um, generally, whenever I've looked at tafsir Ibn Kathir, it's very satisfactory, right? He gives you a satisfactory commentary. You know, like some books you read and you're looking for something quite obvious and you don't find it. Whereas no, with Ibn Kathir is very balanced, right? And he's a very good writer, and he mentions. Uh, the hadith that he mentions he mentions their chain right he mentions all of their chain change uh, a chain rather that's why even in arabic there's an abridged version of his that has been around for for years i think it's in uh, some three small volumes whereas his big tafsir is in larger volumes no actually i've got his um, brief abridged version in one large volume okay um, but yeah, it's a beautiful tafsir. And if I'm looking for something quickly, it's a tafsir that I will definitely look at. Now, I'll just give you one coverage. I mean, you need to appreciate what these people are doing. So uh, the other thing that he does, before I give you an example of that, is that he generally quotes everything and he'll tell you where he's taking it from. And the other great thing that he does is that he will mention if a hadith is weak or strong. So that's really useful about him. He'll mention some israiliyat as well. Right, and he'll especially try to highlight the uh, the, the those is, Israelite traditions which are like famous, and people have others have mentioned them. And he'll show you that no, this is very weak; you should not take this, or this is why there's a problem with this one because it contradicts something else. So he's really good in that sense. So it's a very reliable tafsir, you can call it. It's a very very reliable tafsir. Right, you're not going to find all the expound, uh, all the expanded discussions that you'll find in Qurtubi and Khaz and other places. But it's a very straightforward, very reliable, and very satisfactory tafsir. I'll give you an example. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says regarding Hajj: <laughs> This is where Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says: Once you finish your Arafah. Now you will take flight from there, you should pour down from Arafah and you should go to the Mash'ar al-Haram which is the Muzdalifah for the night stay, this is in Hajj, you know when the apex of the Hajj is in Arafah and then after that you, uh, after it's Maghrib time, after it's sunset time, you actually all file down from there and you go to so that's what it says that it Allah says then file down from there where people do you know from where people will do so you do the same thing seek forgiveness uh, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah is the most forgiving and the most merciful now what uh, ibn kathir the way he does this uh, he explains this he says um, he says that the word thumma then has been used here to show that anybody who's in Arafat that's what they should do they should go to then Muzdalifa afterwards. So it's a separate thing. You should not stay in Muzdalifah and not go to Arafah at all. Don't take a shortcut. In fact, now Hajj is Arafah. If you miss Arafah, your Hajj is invalid. You know, there is no Hajj. It's like, you know, you just did not read anything. You started Salah, you didn't read anything, or you didn't do a sujood, or you didn't do ruku. It's Hajj is Arafah. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is because the Quraysh had a monopoly on the Hajj and the Zamzam and everything So they, what they did was They had these special perks for themselves The Quraysh, right? Because they were the host community All the other visitors from other areas They had to do the Hajj in the way that they used to do it the, So the Quraysh wouldn't go to Arafah Arafah is quite a distance away They would stay in Muzdalifa. Why go down there, right? We can stay here When people come back, then they, we'll be here So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that No, you must do the same thing as well Right? That's why Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi alayhi, has mentioned in a hadith from Aisha and she says that uh, the Quraysh and anybody that were of their deen, they would not go beyond Muzdarifa. They would stay in Muzdarifa. Now, you see, it's Minna Muzdarifa, and then Arafa. What we do in Hajj is we go from Mina to Arafa first. We do our day standing down there and du'as and everything, and then we come back to Muzdalifa. We stop there for the night, then we come back to Mina and then we go to Makkah for the stoning. So uh, these people would just stay in Muzdarifa. So Aisha says that the Quraysh and anybody that was on their deen they would stay in Muzdarifa and they used to call these people the Hums. They were called the Hums for this reason. All the other Arabs they would actually go to Arafat. So when Islam came Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told his Prophet uh, السلام, to also go you know because the Prophet is from the Quraysh Right? That everybody must go to Arafat. So that's why it's mentioned that you should do the same thing as well. That's why Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, he narrates um, from Jubail ibn Mut'im, right? Uh, From his father that once um, I lost one of my camels in Arafat. I lost one of my camels in Arafat. So I went, um, uh, I had to go quite a distance to find it. And there I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, standing in Arafat. And I said, he's from the Hums, he's from the Quraysh, what's he doing down there? Right? So, uh, you can tell by this that uh, he was surprised when he saw a Qurayshi, the Prophet ﷺ, down there. Anyway, the Tafsir ibn Kathir has been published by many, many, you know, it's been published over and over again. Apparently, one of the best editions in Arabic of it is Abdul Aziz Ghunaym and his... uh, his group uh their 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 edition of it is probably one of the best now let's move on quickly to the next one which is not so well known but the scholars of the subcontinent i know that they've used this often right now this is uh called lubabu ta'wil fi ma'ani of imam khazin he is the allama right the erudite scholar Alauddin Abul abu hassan ali ibn muhammad ibn ibrahim a shihi not shi'i a al Baghdadi, a Shafi'i a Sufi. So he's from Baghdad, right? He is a Shafi'i in fiqh and he's a Sufi in spirituality, uh, a proper Sufi, not degenerated. bil Khazin, but he's more well known, everybody's gonna to refer to him as Khazin. This is the tafsir of Khazin, tafsir of Khazin. Khazin means Khazin means the one who looks after something, the, the treasurer. Right? Essentially the treasurer, the bookkeeper. The treasurer, the bookkeeper, the curator. The reason is that there was a famous Khanika, there was a famous lodge in Damascus called the Sumeisatiya. The Khanika Sumeis, it's a bit of a tongue twister, the سمي, sorry, The Sume Sumeisatiya in Damascus. They had a library in there, and he was the curator, he was in charge of that library. Right, so that's why he's called Khazin. He became known as Khazin. He was born in Baghdad in six hundred and seventy-eight. Right, he was born in six hundred and seventy-eight. We uh, spoke about Ibn. We spoke about Ibn uh, about Ibn Kathir, uh who died in seven hundred and seventy-four. Seven hundred and seventy-four. Born in seven hundred. So um, they overlap because he's born earlier right this is Khazin is born early in 678 he studied from a number of the scholars there that's in Baghdad but then he decided to move to Damascus right because it looks like by that time Damascus had been the place Ibn Kathir was there many other scholars were there right Damascus was had become kind of the center from Baghdad so he came to Damascus and there again he studied with a number of scholars there and then he settled there And that's where he started, mashallah, writing and studying and teaching and teaching. And he's got numerous books to his name as well. Of course, the most well-known of his books, mashallah, it's found a place among the hundreds of tafaseer that are out there, people quote him, is is his tafsir. He died there in 741, right, which is much earlier than Ibn Kathir. Now, what Ibn, uh, what's so great about his book is that again, it's Tafsir Bil Ma'thur. This category I'm speaking about is all Tafsir Bil Ma'thur. Tomorrow, we'll talk about the famous Tafsirs of Tafsir Bil Ra'i. Okay, we'll talk about the famous ones there. You'll, you'll get to understand these. Inshallah, one day, you know, you can meet these people in the hereafter. When you go to Jannah, you can say, I want to meet with Khazin, I want to meet with Ibn Kathir, I want to meet with Ibn Jarid al Tabari. So, what. Um, Imam Khazin, he's, he's around the 7th Hijri, there's many Mufassirs before him, so what he does is, again, he takes, and a lot of Tafsirs do this, he takes the best of what the earlier Tafsirs have produced, the extensive, extended, extensive Tafsirs, and, for example, there's a Tafsir that was produced before him by Imam Bagawi. so he has kind of abridged, you can say, Imam Baghawi's Tafsir, and he's very particular about what he quotes and everything like that, uh, but sometimes, you know, a lot of the time he actually takes out the chains, right, in order to avoid, you know, just having a huge, uh, you know, the, all these chains in there as Ibn jarir al-Tabari has done. However, uh, he has been careful to mention the sources of each hadith that he quotes, whether it's from Bukhari, Muslim, or the the Sunan, right? And he also then explains uh, any strange hadith in there, any obscure narrations, he will explain that as well. Now, one of the things about him is that he does, uh, he has a lot of tafsir bil-ra'i as well. That's why others, some people have actually put him into that category as being prominently from that category. Whereas um, others say, no, he is more tafsir bil-ma'thoor. But again, it doesn't really make much of a difference. I said he is quite expansive in his coverage of the Israelite traditions. So it is uh, one thing about his tafsir is that it has a lot of juicy information, all right. It's got a lot of, a lot of you know, additional information because he takes a lot of the Israelite as well, all right. Um, that's why he could be criticized uh, by some scholars have criticized him for. You know, for being too extensive in his taking of the Israelite tradition, but it's a very, very valuable tradition. The reason why he gets away with it is because whenever he mentions an Israelite tradition that is weak or that is objectionable or something like that, he will generally introduce it, uh, he'll signpost it. So those which are straight, you know, which are reliable and everything, he will use them differently. But when he has some of the weaker ones, he'll say, he'll start with saying Yurwa it has been transmitted, or ruia, uh, or anfulan, it's transmitted from such an, so all of those in Arabic is, are known, right, in within narration works, that that is to show what they call sigat al it's to show weakness in what he's about to quote, so that's what makes it very useful that, okay, take it with a grain of salt, right, and he's just compiled it all together. The fourth tafsir that we had discussed that is prominent in terms of uh, of the early tafsir, right? In terms of uh, tafsir bil ma'thoor, transmitted tafsirs, is that of Imam Tha'alibi. Now he is the Imam, the Alim, the muhaqqiq, So he's a, a scholar of verification research. Abu Zayd, Abdul Rahman, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn Makhlouf, Al Tha'alibi, Al Jazairi, Al Maliki. So now we've got a Maliki scholar who's from Jazair, right? He died in and, uh, sorry 876, 876, so a whole century uh, and more after the previous two. And uh, he was about 90 years old when he died. He's buried in Jazair, right, in Algeria. And uh, yeah, so Tha'alibi uh, was, mashallah, known to be one of the big scholars of his time not just in scholarship but also in terms of his scrupulousness his zuhud and abstinence from the world he was a man of god right and he wasn't interested in the dunya at all he was uh mashallah he'd written numerous books as well he's written a number of books as well uh, but this is his famous book that everybody knows about is al Jawahirul al-hisan fi tafsir al-qur'an jawahir plural of jawhar which essentially al-hisan means the beautiful the choicest the elegant pearls right so al-jawahir is pearls the elegant pearls in the tafsir of the quran now what he does is again he takes from nearly about he's selecting from all the earlier tafsirs as well he's taken from a lot of the reliable scholars of the uh of about a hundred he takes from about a hundred sources so it's like a compendium from about a hundred different tafsirs of the past right and most of Nearly everybody he's taken from is a reliable imam that he's taken from. Okay? Now I'm gonna give you an example from his tafsir where he says in regarding Kulia Ayyuhal Kafirun. Right? Kulia Ayyuhal Kafirun. when he's doing the tafsir of Kulia Yul Kafir I this example is a good one because everybody knows this surah. Now Kulia Yul Kafirun is this. Kul Yahuhal Kafirun. Say, "O oh, disbelievers, Yah Yuhal Kafirun um read the verse for me i do not worship what you worship i'm not going to worship what you worship and then and and neither are you going to worship what i worship and then and i'm not going to ever worship that which you worship so it's like a repetition it sounds like right ما, ولا, uh, عبد, and neither are you going to worship what I'm going to worship, what I worship, right? Lakum دِينُكُمْ For you is your deen, your your faith, and for me, Waliyadin, For me is my deen. Now, what's really interesting, Imam Ta'alibi says that it's been related to us the سَبَبُ Nuzul. Remember we talked about سَبَبُ Nuzul, the cause for the revelation of this was related to us from Ibn Abbas and others that a group Of the leaders of the Quraysh came to the Prophet and said to him, You know what? Leave all of this way of yours, all of this calling to God and Allah and one God and everything. Leave it, and we will give you as much money as you want, and we will actually make you our leader. We'll give you leadership, we'll accept you, whatever. Just stop doing all of this, stop converting people essentially. And then they said to him afterwards, when obviously he refused, they said, Okay, if you don't do that, then let's do this. Right, you worship our lords, and we will worship your lords. نعبدوا إلهك، فالتعبد ونعبد إلهك. You worship our gods, and we will worship your god. Until we decide what's the best of them. Right، فَهَيْتُكَ جَمِيعاً. Whatever， whatever is the goodness in all of that， then we'll eventually attain that. So they gave him this option when nothing else would work. When he would not refuse， when he would not stop his Propagation, they said, let's do that Now, who were these people? This is the interesting part, who were these people? These were, this group at that time was Walid ibn al-Mughir, I spoke about him yesterday Khalid bin Walid's father, okay Asi ibn Wa'il Right, or Asi ibn Wa'il as they say Umayya ibn Khalf Ubay ibn Khalf, those two Abu Jahl, and they were the children of Hajjaj, right, and a few Others like them, and what's Interesting is that none of these people Became Muslim afterwards Whereas people like Abu Sufyan, who was a leader, right? Uh, Umar, who was a leader, and others who were leaders, Sahil ibn Amr, all of these guys became Muslim. But none of these that I've just main, mentioned became a Muslim. Because it's really interesting, and he mentions, he says, because the Prophet ﷺ informed them that he would not worship what they worship, and that they would not be worshiping what he worshiped, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, what's really interesting from this verse is, لا La'a'bud. It's possible that it means that I'm not, I'm not, I don't worship what you worship. You don't worship what I worship. Meaning right now, maybe in the future you will worship what I worship because that is what happened to other leaders of the Quraysh, right? So that's a possibility. However, what Khazin explains, uh, sorry, not Khazin, Imam Tha'alibi, what he uh, explains here is that when he says "wala ana 'abidum it actually re- means forever. You will never do it because that's why Allah then says Wala antum aabiduna ma'abud, For that emphasis that you are never going to worship that which I worship Like for sure, 100% And that's why the, uh, it is as if this repetition Because some of you may have read this surah and thought it's just a repetition he's saying the same thing again twice, that I don't worship what you worship, you don't worship what I worship, and I am not going to worship what you worship, and you're not going to worship what I worship, it sounded just like a repetition. Imam Tha'alibi makes it very clear here, that no, this is not just a repetition, there's an emphasis here, the second one is to say, uh, the first one is to say, you're not worshipping me right, you're not worshipping my God right now, I'm not going to worship your God, you're not going to worship my God, and neither will you ever do so, and neither will I ever worship your gods as well. And that's exactly what happened. It's like a miracle. It's a mu'jizah of the Quran. That's when he said that, and that's exactly what happens. These people did not become Muslim. They did not get Islam, and they all died on kufr. Whereas others, like Abu Sufyan and many others, you know, you know, who were also enemies at that time, they all became Muslim afterwards. That's really interesting. Uh, you get these wonderful things from these different tafsir, but here we that's the end of our discussion on tafsir bil ma'thoor. Tomorrow, insha'Allah, we're going to talk about tafsir bil ra'i. Then um, uh, there's about two or three days in where we cover different types of tafsir, right? And so you get a good understanding of how the ulama covered the Quran. That just what's it? What the benefit of this is going to be for you is that you'll understand from what angles scholars have covered the Quran and how you can. Now, when you read a tafsir in English, for example, the Ma'arif Al-Quran, Mufti Shafi Sahab, it's in eight volumes. He's got a bit of all of this, right? He's got Ma'thur, he's got Ra'i, he's got Fiqh, he's got everything in there. You'll start appreciating this. Once you understand this for the next three days or so, next two days or something, when you've understood all of this, whenever you then read a tafsir or you see an explanation, you'll be able to understand where this is coming from. And inshaAllah, that will help you and benefit you. Jazakallah khair. May Allah bless you all. May Allah make this Ramadan Better than any Ramadan before it, and allow, uh, and allow us to uh, the Quran to enter our hearts and infuse us, and allow us to leave a legacy. Wa aakhirataywana anil hamdulillahi Rabbi alalamin. JazakAllahu khair. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. JazakAllahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.